Hello again, everybody, and welcome back to The Accelerator with Michael Conniff. I'm your host. Great to be with you in a podcast devoted to startups, founders, entrepreneurs, and also the angels, VCs, investors, investment firms, family offices that cater to them. It's great to be here. We are on all the major platforms. Make sure to like us, share us, review us, uh, open us when you get our emails going out now to thousands of people. Um, and uh, uh, look for us on all the major platforms, including Apple, Amazon, Audible, and others not with that don't start with the letter A, also Spotify and YouTube for video and audio. Today, I am extremely pleased to welcome to the podcast, Pat Riley. Hello, Pat. Thanks for being with us. Hi, it is so good to be here. Thanks for having me. You are, um, you are going to, you're kind of like the uh, the hardest working man in show business, as they used to call James Brown. Pat is the CEO of Morrow. We'll, we'll explain what that is in a minute. He's also the managing partner of Morrow Ventures, which has investments in 43 companies. We could easily, easily, without even breaking a sweat, um, have him on the Angel podcast, our companion podcast. But I want to tell you this about Morrow. They um, are involved with accelerators, hubs studios and corporate partnerships and and also as i said a venture fund so pat um i hardly know where to start with you but why don't we start at the beginning of how did all of this get started you're in denver now you've got a partner you've got a lovely office as we can see how did you get started and is this going the way you thought it would uh well well, the answer is always, how's it going? Is it going the way you thought you thought it would? The answer is, of course, no, uh, which, which we can get to. Um, no, but, but how I got started was I, I worked for a nonprofit. I worked for the American Red Cross. I was chief of staff there in D.C. And it's wow. $3, billion, $3 billion a year in revenue. It's a big uh, job. Of which, of which $2 billion comes from them selling your blood. So what I realized is that is this for-profit company is really powering one of the nation's largest nonprofits. Um, so I realized so I left that and going, hey, like I actually want to go try a startup. So I did a healthcare startup. Uh, I was on the leadership team of that. Ended up selling that company, and then I joined a group called TechStars. And TechStars so let me let me, yeah. let me get this straight. You went from taking blood to giving blood. Is that what That's you're right. saying? There you go. Exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then you went exactly. to TechStars. Then I went to Techstars and, and I led their growth for a few years. And while there, there are all these people who said, hey, I want to start an accelerator. And we launched a company to go and help them do that, which is now Morrow. Uh, so I ended up taking it over from Techstars fully in 2014. Oh, it started out as part of Techstars, really? I didn't know yeah, that. Yep, exactly. And now and I've been running it ever, uh, owning it and running it ever since. Now, why the why the why the split? Why did you go in different directions? What was it about this that made you think it could stand alone? Yeah, well, I didn't know if it could stand alone, and that's always the risk, right, when you start off. Um, but but it was this idea of going. It was funny to have this this organization inside of this behemoth, which is TechStars. So TechStars getting bigger and bigger, and we had this you know effectively side business inside of it. They were saying, hey, like it's actually helping hundreds of accelerators, but but Texas is also trying to build their own accelerators. So it didn't really right. fit with what, with what was happening. So as much as they're competitive ultimately, right? Yeah, I, I would never say competitive, but but complementary and also not not a core business of theirs. Yeah. So it was much easier to, to spin it out and have its own thing. 
All right, that makes sense. So um, this is, did you say 2014? That's 2014. 2014, so uh, nearly 10 years ago, nine years ago. Um, what did you have uh, on the table in front of you when you first started? What were like the assets? What were the ideas? Oh, we, we had a playbook for running accelerators. We had data on what's happening with accelerators. Um, we, we had we had a great, we'll say, event program set up when we got when we got accelerators together from around the world. So we had we had this and really like great recurring revenue from from accelerators all over the world. So you you started off with a really good foundation that then allowed us to build Morrow from there. And so okay, so um, take us through the first few years of this. You were it sounds like you were fundamentally focused on accelerators. What were the kind of things you were doing to help? Yeah, well, I think it all starts off with. So, so, so the mission of Morrow is to give startups the power to create and grow their business and to make an impact wherever they call home. Hmm. And if you think about what it means to give startups the power to create and grow, to create and grow their businesses, make an impact, you know, it, it requires building a bunch of support around them. So when I think about accelerators, um, to date, you know, there, there, there is a good amount of criticism on accelerators today, but I still don't know of a better way to help an early stage company than the accelerator model. There will what is be. The, yeah. Forgive yeah. me for interrupting, but what is the criticism you're hearing? Oh, too much. You know, just it's the criticism I've heard from the longest time of too much equity for the amount of money they're giving, not enough support for the companies, um, too many. You know, it, it, they're effectively. Uh, only one or two companies succeed coming out of accelerators, you know, out of like the 10 that they accept. And a lot of that's unwarranted in, in my in my opinion. Um, but nonetheless, it's it's feedback that accelerators are getting. So so when I but when I look at accelerators today, I go, I got so excited to support them because they provide this support and ecosystem and network around startups that they couldn't have otherwise. And it just, you know, it just makes us get, it, that's why it gets excited to come alongside accelerators and go, what do they need? And we can talk about that if, if, if we want to. Yeah, you know, it reminds me of Benjamin Franklin's uh, definition of democracy, which is, uh, it's, uh, you know, I think it's something like it's, you know, it's the worst system imaginable, but nobody's come up with a better one. So maybe that applies to accelerators as well as democracy. But, but, so um, what do you do when you advise accelerators? And we'll get to your other operations in a moment. But what do you do to make a difference, to be different, to make sure that these problems don't occur when you advise accelerators? Yeah, I, 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 for us, it boils down to you know, the three things. You know, it's, it's first of all going, let's, let's give them the data to benchmark themselves. Um, th there's a lot of data out there about accelerators, but, but it's fun to be... Uh, on the forefront of, of accelerator data. So number one, it's going, are you doing a good job? And that's that I think people can benchmark themselves that are part of Morrow. Two, it's lonely running these things. You know, a lot of these people are in mid-sized cities that, around the world and they don't have a support system. So it's fun to build a community around these people where they have a support group with them. But the final thing is there's a lot of tools that they're craving to, to help startups. It's things like finding startups. It's things like investor connections. Um, it's it's things like helping their startups with with, with like pitch decks. Um, you know, it's things like 
what what sort of programming do I offer my startups? You know, and those are all the tools that we get excited to help accelerators with because it's really really hard to come up with all that on your own. And we, you know, so we can bring all those, all, all, all those, all those tools to them, but also to the community and data as well to help them run great. And of, and of course, I'm doing the accelerator all on my own. It's an, it's an influencer accelerator. No doubt, it could, it could, it could benefit from your wisdom. Don't get me wrong, but um, it does, it does show that, you know, anyone can do an accelerator. It's sort of like anyone saying they're a therapist, right? It, in most states, anybody can just stick up a shingle and say, you know, I'm a psych psychologist or therapist or, you know, mental, it's not per perfectly regulated. So, um, so let's assume for the, for the, for the conversation um, that, you know, accelerators, you're, you're sort of trying to do best practices with them. It sounds like, but you've got other pieces to the puzzle here. So let's talk about incubators and for people who don't know the difference, um, can you, explain the difference between incubators and accelerators and then tell us your work with incubators and how that's different. Yeah. That's right. So, okay. So there, so, so I'll give you, I'll actually give you three definitions. So an accelerator is an investment vehicle typically that welcomes in five to 10 fully formed companies into an office again, typically, but not always. And works with them for three to six months, usually okay. capping off with some sort of demo day. So companies coming in, get support for three to six months, and then are effectively are launched at the end of the three to six months. Uh, the accelerator is usually also paying the company typically. Like the average right now is about ninety thousand dollars. Well, is it paying or investing? Is it paying or investing? Great. Oh, great. Excuse me. Investing ninety thousand yeah. dollars in the company in return for six percent of the of the company. Okay. The incubator. On the other hand, um, is working with the same type of company, fully formed companies, but instead of them, um, instead of them giving investment to the startup, the startup is typically paying the incubator, and that's the key differentiator. And also, and also, a startup isn't usually forced out of the incubator; they can typically stay kind of as long as they want until they maybe reach a certain size or or, or go under. Um, and there's not as much programming there. And we don't do a lot of work with with, um, with incubators. But there's a third group that, that we've started to work with called Venture Hubs. And or Ventures, or Ventures sometimes called Venture Studios. Actually, that's, a, that's, a, that's another group we work with. But the Venture okay. Hub, Hubs. Like, okay. Exactly. It's like the new, the Venture Hub is like the new iteration of the incubator. And Venture Hubs are usually the front door to entrepreneurship in a city where they're welcoming in individuals who want to start companies or companies that are looking to get their first round of funding, but they're typically um, literally like in the center of a city. Like I think about 36 degrees north in Tulsa. They are plopped in the middle of Tulsa and startups can both get, get their foot in the door and stay there. But they're usually venture scale companies that are looking to, to sort of uh, to grow, but the, but the hub comes along them at any stage of their company. So would it be like, um, um, is there a, a co-working space element to that? There is, of course. Okay. And that's, that's yeah, exactly. That's a, that's a piece of the hub as well. Okay. And okay. So finally, Venture Studios. And then there's this, this emerging uh, investment vehicle called Venture Studios we work with. This is, this is fun. What, what they do, it's typically wealthy individuals or companies, large companies who said, 
we have all these ideas, but we don't have the team to go in and build the ideas. So what they do is they, 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 they come up with their list of ideas and they go find the CEO. And then together from, from day zero, they build a company for usually six months to 18 months. Ooh. But instead of the accelerator, the accelerator takes 6% equity. The studio is usually taking 30, 35% up to 50% of the company. Um, but it's also putting in $500,000 up to 2 million uh, in, into each company that they're launching. So and also much staff, on. Yeah. Also staffing it in, in some cases or helping it get staffed, helping with tech, helping with everything. 100%. Like we, 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 um, I know it sounds like we're doing a lot here, but at Morrow, we've launched two, we've launched, uh, our own studio. We have two companies at our own studio. And that's the thing. We have, we have resources coming in to, to, to help the company grow. Yeah. So there's usually a CEO, but then the studio is bringing in a lot of help as well. Okay. So I think that, um, Pat, uh, you're, you're the perfect person, uh, to, to ask about the, these related industries, I guess it's all the same industry, but related permutations or iterations of the same, same basic idea. How do you get a company started? How do you make it successful? How do you find money? All those things. So you're in, you're kind of in a unique catbird seat is how I would put it, because you are seeing all of this, um, at every level. So what is working and what could be done better? Yeah, um, yeah. I, I think it all goes down to, to the money. Like, I, I think when I, when I ultimately, what all these groups are trying to do is get companies funded to get to wherever wherever path they're trying to go down. So, so if, when I'm looking at the whole world, I go venture scale companies that are really good are typically being funded, even still. Like, maybe not as much as they were two years ago, but they're still being funded. Um. The biggest issue I see is for non-venture companies that are going to have strong year-over-year growth get the funding that they need. And if I if I was going to sort of say like, man, wh- where would I love there to be a ton of uh, a, a ton of we'll say uh, focus, you know, I would say it's called I would call it non-venture high-growth financing. Uh, that I don't think exists today. Okay, so let me let me ask you this. So does that? This is going to sound really dumb, but uh, I'm, I've never been afraid of that, by the way. But um, does that mean that if if companies don't raise money, they are essentially doomed? No, not at all. Yeah, I, th- I think to your point, like how do people fund? Like people can fund it with their own money, right? Their family's money. Also through revenue, uh, of course. Um, but, but I do think though, like, especially, like I see a lot of these companies that are run by people of color or in smaller cities or even mid-sized cities that are just good companies, but you know, they're not going to have 10 X or hundred X growth, but they're going to have solid two to five X growth. Yeah. Like, they're just not getting the funding they need. Like, you know, if I think about our 43 ventures we invested in, the question I, my partner would always ask ourselves is, how can this company, for this venture company, what's their path to 10x our investment? But do they have a potential path to 100x? And we had to, we had to have an answer for both of those. And both of those answers had to be yes. There are so many companies out there, right, that are, again, 
awesome companies are going to do two to five X their current valuation, but we'll never hit that for a variety of different, you know, but, but, but can't get funding because that's not the venture model. Well, that, so, so that's raises a very important point. So the way I would phrase this is, you know, success comes in a lot of flavors. Success is different for different people. Success is different for different founders. They can define it very differently. So, but basically once you, uh, and you correct me, Pat, you, you, you know more about this than I do, but once you enter into this ecosystem, um, as a company, basically, let's say the 10x thing, right? Like if you're not going to grow 10x, you're probably not going to make it in this ecosystem. Um, if you're not going to grow 100x, there's another more selective ecosystem that will, like a, like an antibody, reject, <laughs> you know, reject that company, even though the company may be growing a lot or have tremendous potential. So. Uh, I this is an ongoing question. Maybe there's no answer to this, but the question is really, how do we get a broader definition of success? So it's yeah. not just the unicorn, but it's the guy or the woman or the the you know who, them whoever it is who starts a company and um, and is profitable and creates a lot of jobs and goes on for you know indefinitely. Like how come how come that's not a success? Uh, I, I think I'm probably more, more, more like you than, uh, than, than not. Like I, I can't tell you how much I look at success as the person who creates a company with $200,000 in EBITDA for 30 years. Like that to me could be a huge success. Um, you know, I almost, I, I, I even get it every time I talk about this, I, I get a little emotional, but like, like I love running Morrow. Um, because it's not a 10x company, you know, Mars like a solid three to five x company. Like we're, we're growing, yeah, but we're we're not growing like crazy. And but also too, my kids know me, and I my wife knows me, and and I'm able to take like and and my mental health is like not perfect, but it's pretty, you know, but it's good. But also too, I'm because I'm not I'm not on this treadmill of of um, just growth, 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 growth for the sake of growth. So that's my story, but it's not, that's not everybody's story. But I think it all starts off with, I don't know for every person what's going to bring them fulfillment. For some people, it's working really hard for five years. And like, I'll give you an example. One quick example, I was with, I was with a founder in New Mexico who's, who's one, of the, one of the biggest exits in New Mexico. He sold his company for a ton of money. And after he sold his company for a ton of money, he asked his wife where his kid's school was because he didn't know how to get to it. He'd never been there. And I go, that's not the story I want, but he has a lot more money than I do. And that's, yeah. but you know, so I go at the end of the day, it's, I don't know what the success is, but I think we have to define that and then build backwards. No, no, it's a great point. So, um, and I want to point out, Pat, that you're, you have this, this better balance. Uh, my theory is in part because you're in Denver and uh, Denver is a wonderful place to have balance um, and a great place to have a startup for that, for that matter. There's such a great, infrastructure of which you're a part. So um, what, in terms of the work-life balance and the stereotype of the entrepreneur uh, who never takes a minute off, which of course is like humanly impossible, but that's kind of the stereotype. In your company, in Moro, how do you mitigate against that? And how do you convince people like there's that, that a startup 
is only part of a life. It's not the entire life. Or do you try to do that? Or do you, would you tell them something else? Yeah. Well, maybe I'll start. I'll start going back to questions, which is like you talked. You asked me what the biggest issue is in with venture, you know, in, in this in the space, and I said funding, but not like non-venture high growth funding. Um, I'm fortunate enough to have investors in Morrow, where I created a structure where like, uh, where, where where people have invested in the company, but they also aren't expecting uh, high growth dividends. Right. So, but they're expecting certain dividends, but that, but it's sort of like, but it's different than you would expect from a venture company. So that then it affords us because I, then I'm working backwards and it affords my team to be able to have certain lifestyles. And it's things like, you know, we take every other Friday off as a company. Um, you know, every, every, every week, there's certain, every, every single meeting we start off with. And I spend usually 10 minutes going green, yellow, red. How are you personally and professionally? Um, Anytime somebody joins our company, we shut down the company for the day just to get to know that person. Um, you know, I think about like, you know, time off a year, right? We, like our team effectively gets five weeks off a year um, in addition to every other Friday off. And I don't know, I think where I'm going with this is like, but and when you take Fridays off, it's not to do more work or have a side hustle. It's like, it's to rest. And those, that's the expectations that you're resting. So I don't know. So I guess I'm going with this is like, but I'm allowed to do that because I'm also in a different business than most quote unquote venture, venture investments that I'm allowed. How many people in your company, Pat? Yeah, there's about 14 of us here. Okay. So, um, uh, so you're kind of a role model in that sense. You believe in, you know, knowing your kids, knowing your family, knowing your wife, knowing your partner. Um, what can that be taught? Uh, I'm going to say maybe like, not, I, I taught or like hopefully modeled. Um, you know, I think when I look at like the heroes of our generation today, it, it you can tell, I don't know, for those watching, like I even get like, you know, I'm like crossing my arms here as I think about it. Like I look at like Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, um, Bill Gates, right? These are the quote unquote business heroes. But I look at all of them and I'm like, again, if you're going to get divorced, that's fine. I'm not against, I'm not against divorce, but I look at our business leaders and I go, Bill Gates for years was having like a purposeful affair with, with a mistress, to like keep his marriage going. You know, I look at Elon, his life's kind of goofy. Like I look at Jeff Bezos, right. And what's happened? Like, what, you know, well, how many kids does he talk about not knowing where you kids are? Yeah, <laughs> six. Exactly. six by six six wives or something like that. That's right. And I go like I looked at I look at these guys and they go they have accomplished so much, so much that I will never be able to accomplish. But I also too love that I have two kids that know me and like me or I think like right. me and a wife right. that like uh, you know that 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 me as well or that likes me as well and I really like her. So I don't know if that answers the question. It was, it's a, it's a tough one to answer, but, you know, Jeff Bezos, I think, you know, up to what, three years ago might've been pointed to as a still married to the same woman who helped him get the company started, uh, right. relationships with his kids and so on. And now he's sort of a guy who, uh, has an overworked upper body, um, and a trophy wife and a yacht that is apparently so big, people can't even describe it. Um, <laughs> but it's, you know, but that's, you know, being 
close to maybe the richest or close to, I guess you can do whatever you do, whatever you want. And most people will think you're a genius. So, um, but personally, uh, though, it's not something anybody would want to model. Well, let me, we've got a couple minutes left. I did want to ask you about your RO Ventures, your managing partner there. Um, tell us what you, and these come to, first of all, tell us how you find these companies. I assume through your network, but, but what are you looking for? Yep. So yeah, so 43 investments um, so far. Um, and, and typically it's, you know, it's, and again, this goes back to like, I'm looking this time for venture scale companies, right? So it's a di so now I'm going back to like, what am I craving? Um, and so these are companies that again, are doing 10X to 100X returns. Things that we also, so that's point one. Point two is that we have affinity towards, like we have, like we like the Warren Buffett model of like, I have to understand the company. Um, like, right, so if you're doing something in biotech, I typically don't understand it. But if you're doing something in, we'll say, um, like the healthcare space or mm -hmm. like the mobile space or B2B SaaS, like I know that area, so I can play in that. Um, and, and the third one is like, I'm looking for a team that is authentic humans, particularly. Um, and final one is, is it an additive venture? And we describe additive of, is this additive to the humans that use it to the to or the companies that use it or to the cities that 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 exist in. And if it define, is, then we invest. Define it. additive for me. Yep. So 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 that's that last piece of like, is it something that's both not going to detract from a human being a fully human, or a team being a fully formed team at a company, or to something that increase a city's ability to be an effective city? And if it if it doesn't detract from that, we call it an additive venture. So like for instance. With, with Facebook today, Facebook is, we say, detracting us or pulling us away from human relationships, which we found out now. So therefore, I wouldn't call Facebook an additive. It, my opinion, it detracts more than it adds. So when I look at ventures, we're trying to go, like we invested in a grill company. That's like, in my opinion, increasing people's ability to come together and enjoy community with one another. So therefore, it's additive to a human's existence. Therefore, we, we, we'd invest in it. Okay, to make the world a better place. You sound like uh, the former chief of staff of uh, the Red Cross. So, uh, so <laughs> that's good. That's, that. that's a yeah. good. So, yeah. so in, in, in the couple minutes we have left, tell me what your uh, hopes and dreams are for Murrow. Um, you've been doing it since 2014, almost 10 years. Um, what What's the perfect uh, storm for you? What What is the perfect outcome for this company? Yeah. Um, you know, it ultimately comes down to, um, are we helping? And, and I go, you know, the best outcome for me is like, there's another few hundred studios that, that get launched and create the next generation of companies that like on the sec, on the other part is like that accelerators continue to reinvent themselves and we're able to help with that. And that there's like, you know, hundreds of more adventure hubs that are created in every city uh, around the world. And, and then we're helping support those. So, so ultimately it comes down to, are we helping both these groups? But also too, are we helping the next, the next model that comes our way? And, and how are we, how are we situated to help that? And that gets me, you know, I think if we, if we can do that and we get good feedback on how we're helping, like that's, that's the home run. What is, is there a next model? Is something coming down the pike that those of us in this, in this ecosystem haven't, haven't seen coming yet? Not that I know of. I mean, I think there's fun stuff happening at universities that I think we need to be paying attention to. Like, I think 
entrepreneurial education at the undergrad level is pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, I, and I think too, you know, when I talked about the, the non-venture but high growth um, funding, I think we're seeing some really interesting models there, but nothing that's like a, nothing that's like the venture model. Like, I think people are playing a lot there, but no one knows what, what the right model is just yet. Yeah. Well, listen, um, Pat, uh, I want to thank you. We've been, um, uh, I want to remind you that um, you've been listening to The Accelerator. I'm Michael Conniff. We're uh, one half of a two podcast tag team, The Accelerator and The Angel. And Pat is is one of those people who could have, this could have, this podcast would work on either side because he's, he's both an investor with um, Moro Ventures. He's also running a company that helps incubators, uh, accelerators, hubs and venture studios and we didn't even get to corporate partnerships so all of those and doing a bunch of events to boot so it's a really interesting company um and i want to remind everybody to rate and rank and share the accelerator and the angel um we're on all the major platforms you can also contact me on linkedin or at michael conniff um or rather i should say michaelconniff.com is my website you can go there as well um, and we're doing a big push on Substack and, and everything is going to kind of run through Substack for us. So that's that's a big, uh, big uh, news, uh, a big headline for us. So thanks so much. And I want to thank Pat Riley. He is the CEO of Morrow. Um, he is the managing partner of Morrow Ventures um, with investments in 43 companies. They're both uh, out of that lovely office we see behind him in Denver. And um, Pat, it's really been a treat. And I, this is one of those where I felt like we were just getting started. So you will definitely have to come back uh, sometime soon, I hope. Yeah, I'll count me in. And truly, anytime, Michael. Thank you so much. All right. My pleasure. And thanks to you for listening. Remember, we'll be back with another podcast before you know it.